Hey, Pastor Tony brought a great message last Sunday on communion and talking about the or the body of Christ. And and uh, if you if you didn't you weren't here and you didn't hear that message, I want to encourage you to certainly go back and listen to that. Um, it's an awesome message. I, I love the encounters that Jesus has with people in Scripture. We can learn so much about Jesus and about ourselves and about people and about our walk with him. I know a few months ago we took a look at um, Zacchaeus, the little guy that climbed the tree to see Jesus. And today we're going to look at a passage that's also probably very familiar to us. If you've been around church life at all, I'm sure you've heard this numerous times. It's a, it's a great story. And it's really a story that most Christians um, believe they know and understand well. Um, I'd like to revisit it this morning, and um, maybe we can look at it uh, like we're looking at it for the first time, maybe with fresh eyes. Maybe there's some things in here that God wants to show us, and uh, so we're going to be taking a look at the John chapter 4. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, thank you uh, for your great faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that we can declare and worship how great you are. You're a good God. And Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, that you're drawing us closer, shaping us, molding us, making us more like you. And Lord, I thank you for this story that you left for us in scripture, that we can see you and see your heart toward people. God, that we can see ourselves in this, in this passage. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grow, mature, and continue to be the people that you've called us to be. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning or watching online that doesn't know you today, I pray that their heart would be opened. And Lord, that they would see the desire and need that they have for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story we're looking at this morning is Jesus and the woman at the well of Samaria. And it helps us really deal with some kind of modern issues uh, that we're facing and barriers that we have in our culture today. We see in here the barrier of race and prejudice and how Jesus interacts uh, with a culture that's uh, been isolated and, and rejected by the Jews. And so in this story, Jesus encounters a moral outcast and displays for our instruction the proper approach we're to have with such people. In this, also, in this passage, he also settles a theological quarrel that had been going on for centuries as to the proper place to worship in the manner of worship. And John gives us some great background uh, in the setting of this encounter in the first six verses of John chapter seven of his gospel. Let's read verses one through six. It says, when, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob uh, that Jacob had given uh, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting down beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There's really three particular things that John calls our attention to here. First, the reason Jesus left Judea was to avoid a growing controversy. There was some discussion about who was baptizing more. Was it 
Jesus or actually his disciples or uh, John the Baptist. And we find that Jesus walks away from this controversy. In fact, when John says that he left, it really means he forsook or abandoned Judea. And sometimes we've got to pick our battles, you know? Is it really worth something to fight about? I mean, we can see that in life. And Jesus decides that he doesn't want to be a part of it, so he leaves. And then John tells us and draws our attention to the route that Jesus took on his journey to Galilee. Now, if you were going to travel from Judea to Galilee, there's actually two different ways you could go. The most direct route from Judea to Galilee was about 70 miles and about a two and a half day walk. It was, um, it would take you through Samaria, but this, this, this particular journey was a little bit rocky and mountainous in its terrain. And many of the Jews cho chose not to go through Samaria, and we'll see why as the story develops. It wasn't the terrain that was concerning them, there were other concerns that they had. But rather they would take the long way, called, called the Jordan Way. It was hot, it was longer, but the terrain was easier to travel on. They would travel on the desert road from Jerusalem to Jericho and up the Jordan Valley. The journey was almost twice as long in distance on a much hotter but more comfortable road. But the reason they chose not to go through Samaria was because of the terrible prejudice against the Samaritan people that they had. Verse 4 says, and he had to pass through Samaria. One translation says he needed to go. There was something about uh, Jesus being compelled to go this way. Maybe he was on a mission. The third thing that John calls our attention to is the place where Jesus stopped. It was an historic spot, Jacob's Well. And this location was about a half a mile uh, west of the city of Sychar. And the people from that city would travel there to get their fresh water. Now, back in Genesis chapter 33, we really have the account of Jacob digging this well. He dug, dug this well for his flocks and then left it to his son, uh, Joseph. And it says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting down beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So he gathers some information from these verses. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus was weary or tired uh, from, this, from this journey. He'd been walking in the hot sun all day. Noon was the brightest and hottest part of the day. And in this passage, we see really the humanity of Jesus. But later on, we see the divinity of Jesus. Human and divine, God and man, something that we certainly could never understand. But Jesus... At times he got tired, at times he got weary, at times he thirsted. And Jesus sat down by the well to rest while the disciples went into the city to buy some food. And then starting in verse 7, it gives us a remarkable account of a conversation between Jesus and a woman who comes to draw water. We never find out her name, but there's some key details about her life in this passage. She was only known as the woman of Samaria. She was a woman, so we see her gender. Now, in this culture, men didn't talk to women in public. Matter of fact, Jesus, being a rabbi or a teacher, according to rabbinical law, rabbis were instructed to never talk to a woman 
in public, not even her own wives or sisters. And also in this culture, women were regarded as totally unable to understand complicated subjects like theology and religion. Jesus breaks down all the barriers that separate him from this woman. Samaritans were a mixed race. Back in the 1763 or whatever, dispersed uh, Jews stayed in that area and they intermarried uh, with other, other um, heathen cultures, resulting in a nation of half-breads. They were, dis and this ser seriously disturbed, and the Jewish people looked at this as being evil. And then the true religion of Israel became intermingled with heathen idolatry. So we see that there's a great divide that was happening there and happened, all right? There was an intermarriage that took place. It was a, a mix of, uh, in the Samaritan uh, culture, a mix of, of Judaism and also of, uh, you know, heathen teachings. So the Jews and the Samaritans did not associate with one another. And it's interesting that Jesus would choose this way to go. Now, this Samaritan woman, we know, scheduled her day to avoid her deepest pain. Woman of the day would come to draw water, usually in early morning or early evening, the cooler parts of the day. And it was actually a social event for them. They would go and they would talk and they would laugh and socialize. But she planned her day to escape the pain of her shame. She didn't want to run into the woman of the village and drawing water at the heat of the day could only indicate a few things, that she was a social outcast and ostracized. Her presence at the well at this time of day may be further evidence of her lack of character or at least her lack of popularity among the women at Sychar. Yet Jesus found her there and maybe this is the reason he needed to go through Samaria. Maybe he had a divine appointment. Now the Pharisees had a very simple system to keep them holy. They simply kept their distance from sinners. They thought sin was contagious and that anyone who was in close contact could, they could merely be influenced by sinners. This is one reason why the, uh, the Pharisees were so disturbed when Jesus would go and eat with sinners and, and spend time with them and, and go to their homes. They couldn't understand it at all. They thought it was so bad. But we see that this woman was lost in the sea of brokenness. Maybe she was under the assumption that she had just gone too far. There was no hope for her. But Jesus was unfazed by her sin. Jesus, the Savior of the world, asked an outcast to help him. In verse 7 and 8, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So we see here that Jesus, wearied from his trip, he asked this woman for a drink. He was thirsty. But you know what? She was thirsty too. Not just for the water in the well. She was looking for more. And in asking for a drink of water, Jesus catches this woman completely off guard. Because like I said, Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with, with, with each other. They didn't communicate at all. And also, they certainly wouldn't drink from the same cup. I see in this passage 
in God's eyes that no one is ever too far gone. He has a plan and a purpose for every person's life. He'll never let us be alone. He'll always be there. And in verse 9 through 11, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So, Verse 9 just reinforces and, and really reveals the cultural divide that existed in that day. But Jesus, in verse 10, says that he wants to give her living water. Now, though Jesus was speaking in a figuratively way, all right, she took him literally. She was looking for this drink of water that uh, he was going to give her. It's interesting that in John chapter 7, um, verses 37 to 39 says on the last day of the feast the great day Jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water now this he said about the spirit whom those who had believed in him were to receive for as of yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified and Jesus stands up and says, if you want living water, come to me. If you're thirsty, I'll give you a drink. And in verses 11 and 12, she says to him, the woman said to him, sir, if you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep, where will you get the, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who has given us the well and drank from it himself as did his son and his livestock. So she looks at the situation and she says to Jesus, how are you going to give me a drink? You don't have anything to draw the water out of the well from. The well's deep. But you know what? Just like the well is deep, the well in her soul was deep. She had such a need that day. And so she asks a great question. She says, where can you get this living water? Now, it becomes apparent in verses 13 and 15 that she really doesn't understand what Jesus was referring to. So it reads, Jesus said to her, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. So Jesus says, the water that I'm talk talking about is not found in this well. It's something else. It's living water. Living water that Jesus would give would be consistently available to her at all times. She wouldn't have to go to the well. She still would get uh, thirsty physically, but Jesus was saying that the living water that I give you is going to satisfy you. And her desire um, to continue to have to go to the well wouldn't be there. Okay? And what Jesus was really referring to is he was referring to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That was the living water that Jesus was talking about. That's why he got up in John chapter 7 and said, If you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you living water. 
There's times in my life where I've felt dry spiritually. Just being honest with you. And you know, we can go through the motions, you know, we can, and, and I would encourage you to still do that even when you feel dry, okay? Still go on, carry on, don't quit, all right? But there's times in my life where I, man, I just felt like spiritually I was dry. There's nothing there. The thing about it is that we need to be consistently filled with the Spirit. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Scriptures tell us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, came to dwell in you, okay? And, and wants to work in our lives in a special way. And it's the, that spring of water that, that's within us. But sometimes the world and life and situations can deplete that presence in our lives. And we need to go back and say, Lord, refill me. I heard somebody say the reason we need to be continually filled by the Spirit is because we leak. <laughs> Things happen. Situations, circumstances, all right? And we find ourselves in a place where we feel dry. Now, the living water that Jesus is talking about to her, is, it's available to you and I, all right? In verse 16, it seems like Jesus now begins to change the subject. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. It seems like they're talking about living water. Now he's like completely changes the subject. This woman was living in relational brokenness. She was thirsty. She, was, she wanted a relationship. She wanted intimacy. She wanted security. She wanted acceptance. All the things that we want in life. And so she was reaching out and trying to find them in men. But she was coming up thirsty every time. Because only this can only be found in Jesus. Instead, she found herself alone, isolated, and thirsty. In verse 17 and 18, it says, The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said, what you have said is true. And so Jesus now zeroes in on the thirst that she has in her life. It's, a, it's broken relationships. And it seems like she could get a man, but she couldn't keep him. But it's interesting in that culture that husbands divorce wives. Wives never and weren't allowed to divorce their husbands. So she had been turned away by five men already. And now she's with the sixth one. People try to fill their lives with all kinds of things to quench their thirst. If I can just go here, if I can just have this, if I can just be with that one. And so people continually, uh, you know, run their lives this way. But Jesus was able to read her heart, not her lifestyle and her, or her sin. And he gently exposes the sin that's in her life. He doesn't see how deep our sin is. He sees our heart. And he sees how he's created us. And he sees the beauty in each of us. And so, at this, at, and this, at this time and in this culture, her sin was really worthy of death. But now it was out in the open. Now her true thirst, her real need, was self-evident. 
Jesus brought it right to the surface. Remember Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus led her to face the thing in her life that was destroying her. She needed to understand what was ruining her life. And it was a search for, you know, finding fulfillment in relationships and in men. But she was coming up empty every time. And then in verse 19, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is a place people ought to worship. So all of a sudden now, it seems now she's changing the subject. Okay? Evasion on her part maybe to escape the unpleasant probing of Jesus. Let's get off this topic and get on to something a little different. But I don't really believe that she was changing the subject. I believe she was admitting that Jesus was dead right on. He was reading her mail. She said to him in verse 19, you must be a prophet. How would you know? And see, there's where we see the divinity of Jesus. We saw the humanity of being thirsty at the well, being weary. And now we see this tremendous insight that he has into this woman's life. God and man operating at the same time. It's pretty amazing. And Jesus was telling her that true worship is not a place. And we pick it up in verse 21. He said, uh, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus was telling her that true worship is not a place, but a person. It's not an address. It's not a location. See, because in this area, at the, at the foot of this mountain that, that um, Sychar was uh, located at, that was the place of worship for them. And she was saying to him, and she had some insight. She was saying, yeah, you say Jerusalem, we say here. And Jesus completely got her off of that. Because how you worship and whom you worship is vastly more important than where you worship. The place is not so essential as the spirit in which worship is conducted. Now, we had an opportunity this morning. We got a great worship team here. I mean, I really appreciate um, their hearts and what they do. And I mean, it just comes out and... And it's so encouraging to, to, to be able to experience that. And I'm sure at times they felt this too. I'm sure at times they didn't feel up to it. They didn't feel like worshiping. I saw somebody from the back that I know doesn't feel like worshiping today, but they're worshiping. That's, that's awesome because they know who God is. And even though in spite of what's going on in their life, they're still making a decision, I'm going to worship him. Okay. The place in, is not so essential as the spirit in which worship is conducted. And God directs this woman's attention from the external question of where to the internal question of how. Worship must come from within and must be based on a true perception of God. See, if, if we just worship with our head, you know, knowledge of God, it becomes very dry. If we just worship from our emotions, it becomes very difficult because when the music stops, then the worship stops. It's the head and the heart working together. The knowledge of God 
and the spirit that lives inside of us responding to God. So the Holy Spirit has taken residence in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, he lives inside of you. And he wants to fill us up with this, this living water that flows out of our lives. Worship must come from the spirit within instead of merely being a kind of a formal, external, or kind of traditional uh, a setting. And the key phrase in this passage for this thought is, in verse 23, in spirit and in truth. Spirit lives inside of us, and we have the knowledge of God. And so when we put those two things together, our true worship can come out. And Jesus is seeking uh, today for those that worship him in spirit and truth. It wasn't just for this moment. It was for us today. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus quotes a prophecy from Isaiah, and he says, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, they do worship me. Jesus is not looking for us to go through kind of a routine kind of formality of worshiping. He wants it to come from deep within us and a deep revelation of who he is. And who, how do we, where do we find the truth? We find the truth in the scriptures. It's a revelation of who God is. And when we take that knowledge and we take the spirit that lives inside of us, when we put those two together, then we are worshiping him in spirit and truth. And then we see in verse 25 and 26 that Jesus finally reveals who he is to her. And it says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow, that's powerful, you know? Jesus says, you know the one you're looking for? I'm right here. I'm the one. Our Lord brings this woman to a point where she understands she's a sinner in need of salvation where she understands that her religious system, her belief system is not working for her, and, but it needs to come through a faith in, in, in Jesus, who is the promised Messiah. Now, all of a sudden, we get to that point in the story, and it's so exciting because Jesus has just revealed who he is. And there's like an interruption in the story. It says in verse 27, then, then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, which we talked about. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Now, it seems like there's kind of a pause in the story. But the next verse really reveals something very significant to us. I know the woman took a drink of that water, that living water that Jesus was talking about. Do you know why? Let's read the verses together. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Why did she go to the well? She went to the well to draw water. And all of a sudden she leaves her water jug there. That's not important anymore. Because she took a real drink. All right? She leaves that and it causes her to go into the city. And she says, now remember, she's an outcast, all right? She's, you know, on a typical day, she's looking to avoid these kind of situations with people. But now something's happened in her life that she cannot keep to herself. And she goes into the city and she says, come and see a man 
who told me everything I ever did. Our, our Lord brings her to the place and the point where she understands. And so, in verse, uh, so she receives a drink of living water. In verse 28 through 30, it says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have found food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone, anyone else brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So here they are, they're concerned. They went into town. They, they, they went in to bring Jesus some food to eat. He comes, they come out and they're like, they're not even catching on what's going on. They don't know what's happening here. Jesus, you got to eat. And he's like, I, I, got some, I got bigger priorities here. I got stuff that you don't know about, you know? And, uh, and so we see that when she left her water jar, it caused her to, and she desired to go and tell others. So her original plan was she was going to draw water from the well, but now she leaves her water pot and hurries back to Sychar. And she says, I want to show you and tell you and introduce you to someone that told me everything I ever did. And look at verses, um, we read the verses 30 through 30, uh, 38, um, and it really raised, relates to us. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say yet, there are yet four months, then comes a harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and that reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying it holds true, one sows the other reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. You did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Instead of Jesus being concerned about food, he was concerned about the harvest. And I'm inclined to believe that when he said, look, the fields are white with harvest, I believe it may have been at that point that the people were coming out of the city to see Jesus. He gave them a visual. And he kind of said, you know, this is really what it's all about. And then it goes on, it says that... Um, Verse 39 to 42, it said, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They knew her lifestyle. They knew what she was all about. And, and now she's telling about this living water and this man that told me everything that I ever did. It says, So the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Remember, he needed to go through Samaria. He knew what was going to happen there. This, this area, this region was going to be changed by this woman's testimony. And then it goes on, it says, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. What an amazing story that Jesus takes an outcast in society and uses her and changes her life and she has influence in the community that she lives in. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and maybe you're feeling a little dry spiritually. Jesus wants to fill you today with fresh 
living water. And this causes us not just to keep it for, for ourselves. You know, a, a spring or a fountain of water, it just doesn't, you know, it's just not contained in one area. It spills out in other areas. I love the, I love the uh, cultural example from Jesus' time. When, like when you went to a wedding and the host was serving at the wedding, the host would pour your drink. And so as you were there throughout the night, if the host wanted you to leave, then once your cup was empty, they didn't fill it again. Hopefully you got the message. <laughs> Time for me to go. All right? But man, if they wanted you to stay, they'd fill your cup and they'd fill it up so high it would overflow onto the table. And then you knew that you were welcome there. See, the living water that Jesus puts inside of us is not just for us. It's for other people to benefit from. Now, we may look at the world and we say, you know what? I don't think people really care. But I don't believe that. I think they're just like this woman. They're walking around in their brokenness. They don't even know the need that they have in their lives. And Jesus gives us the privilege and the opportunity to be able to pour some living water into their lives, to bring them to him. That's awesome when I think about it. And so don't just judge people by what you see. Sometimes, you know, we're amazed. We go, I can't believe they live like that. Hey, they're living the way they're supposed to be living. They're sinners. And so were you, and so was I. How were you living? I can only speak for myself. I was a mess. I was a mess. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a mess. I was so a mess. <laughs> but man, when Jesus stepped into my life, it was a tremendous difference because now I had purpose and reason, okay? I knew what God wanted me to do and I knew what he had called me to do and that was to know him and to make him known. And I want to challenge you with that this morning. Don't just leave here and say, oh, that was, you know, something we heard in church. Man, let, let, if, if you're dry this morning, just say, God, fill me. He's not going to hold back. He's not going to withdraw from you. Let him pour his living water back into your life and fill you again so you can go out and influence those around you. Let me challenge you this week. Ask God to put someone in your life that needs to hear about him. He'll do that. Don't be surprised when it happens because you ask him, he's just waiting for that to happen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this passage of scripture that so reveals the heart of you towards others. God, that you don't look at people uh, and judge them according to what they've done, but God, you see the potential and the purpose in each, each life. And I thank you that you went to the cross to die for us so that we could know you. And God, I thank you that your desire is to fill us with your spirit and God, I pray that our lives would overflow out of the life that you pour into us, God, that we would pour our lives into others and give them, uh, Lord, knowledge of you. Strengthen us for the journey, Lord. Help us to be the people you called us to be. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.